0: Thank you, Jordan. I was really touched by uh, by his words just in thinking about where we were 15 years ago. Um, I'm sure you're already thinking through, you know, what that day looked like for you. I, I had been in the, the pastorate for two and a half years at the time in Lee Summit, Missouri, and uh, we were having a staff meeting that morning and the other two associate pastors and myself got together and you know, we pulled a TV in to watch what was happening, and we just, you know, were were shocked, like the rest of of the nation. And uh, we started getting some phone calls from people that were just just upset, and they they wondered what was going on. They wanted they wanted to pray over the phone, and and so we we decided we would uh, kind of spread the word um, that we'd gather at the church that evening for prayer. And uh, you know what it's like for a Baptist church to get together for prayer. I mean, what are you what are you expecting, you know? handful of people, right? Um, and I, th- I think we had like a 100 people show up for prayer that night. I mean, just wanting to be together, wanting to talk, wanting to go before the Lord, wanting to read scripture. Um, and then, uh, of course, that next weekend, um, you know, we had worship services. And I, I I was a rookie, you know, I was just just a couple of years in. I didn't know what to expect. And all these people showed up for church on Sunday. And I, I can still remember today seating people we're in the choir loft because we, we ran out of seats in the, in the church. And, uh, and it was just a reminder that day, and here we are 15 years later, but a reminder that, that in situations like that, 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 that really the church is looked upon as having, uh, having answers, having, having security, offering grace and, and comfort and strength and wisdom and, 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 and that doesn't change even when there's not a crisis. God has uniquely placed the body of Christ in this world today to be on mission for him, with him, to, to, the, to the world, to our community, and to the nations. And so um, on this anniversary, I think it's, it, is, it is an imperative for us to, to be mindful of what's happening in our country. To be praying for the spiritual needs, for the brokenness, for the, the lack of direction, the lack of guidance. Just look in the last 15 years at the direction that our nation has gone. Look at decisions that have been made. Look at, look at bills that have been passed. Decisions by the Supreme Court. Proclamations by presidents. You think about what has happened throughout our nation how it's impacted local school boards and and communities and and churches and the state, uh, most recently in Iowa and other places. If you keep up with what's happening, you you you'll, you'll know that 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 times are have changed, and there is a need now, as much as ever, for the good news of Jesus Christ to be communicated to a world that that truly is lost and dying, and in need of a Savior. And we've, we've been singing about that. We've been thinking about that today. Um, but I want to tell you, folks, that we are part of that. We we are the plan that God had for the world. He didn't have another plan. He, he had a plan to work through his people. And so with that in mind, we're going to look between now and, Lord willing, uh, right up until about Christmas, at the first seven, maybe eight chapters of the book of Acts. Uh, a book that 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 is incredible. It's it's exciting. It's fast moving. It it documents the birth of of the church. It 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 shows us the the power of the Holy Spirit working in these people that it not long before before that time were very timid and fearful and and now they're 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 taking the gospel from city to city and place to place and continent to continent and and things are changing. And I think it's a picture. Of what God still expects to see the church doing today. Do you agree? Amen. Wouldn't you love to be a part of a church. That, is, that has the look and the feel of the book of Acts. I don't think that's impossible. Because I believe that the Holy Spirit that was indwelling them. Indwells us today. And I think we live in a world that needs the gospel today. As it did in that time so the question will be whether or not we will want to be a part of it because a sovereign God will do His work. He will reach people. He will minister. He will, he will be glorified among the nations. The question is whether or not you and I want to be a part of it or whether we want to set something else up that's different, feels different, safer, secure, or, or more comfortable, or or we just get distracted with other things. And, and spend time inwardly focused instead of outward. All those things are possibilities. But I think I know you well enough. And you well, you know me well enough to know that that's not what we want. That we don't want a status quo for the next season of ministry. We want to come together and be ready for action. To be a part of what God is doing and wants to do in our community, in our nation... And in this world. And so with that in mind, I invite your attention to the book of Acts. And we're going to look at it, Lord willing, over the next several weeks, couple of months. And uh, and look at these at these opening chapters to see a picture of the message and the mission given in that day. Let's think first of all about the setting of the book. I'll do this quickly. There's a whole lot that could be shared, but we'll just hit some brief things. The book of Acts is really the bridge between the Gospels and the Epistles, the letters to the churches, and you, 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 if, if 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 you pull the Book of Acts out of the New Testament, and you finish reading the Gospels, and you've got a handful of 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 uh, of weary and timid believers that had just been scattered, and then kind of came back together again after the resurrection in in Jerusalem, and then you go to Romans. <laughs> And you're reading about this guy named Paul, who is nowhere to be found in the Gospels, right? And, and now all of a sudden they're in, in writing to a church in Rome? Are you kidding me? We were in Jerusalem. Now we're in Rome. The, 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 really the, the center of the world at that time, if, 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 if you think about the, the Roman Empire. Um, so what has happened between the Gospels and these letters? The book of Acts. Answers these questions. In the gospel accounts, God offered the life of His Son. In Acts, God offers power through His Spirit. In the gospels, we see the original seeds of Christianity. In Acts, we see the continual growth and development of that. In the gospels, we see Christ crucified and risen. In Acts, we see Christ ascended and exalted. In the Gospels, we see the model of the Christian life as lived out by the perfect man, Jesus Christ. In Acts, we see the model of the Christian life as lived out by imperfect people. Yet people who were changed by Christ and people who would change the world. The church at its inception was really a movement. It was a movement. It was, it was, it was people that were, that were called together around the idea or the conviction that Jesus was the Messiah. That He was who He said He was. And that, that He was the only hope for salvation. That He died on the cross, that He rose from the grave, that He ascended, and that He was the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one would come to the Father except through him. That was their conviction. And they gathered around that. And so when we hear the word church, we think what? Building, right? They didn't think that at that time. When they thought of the church, they were thinking a movement. A people who gathered together. It literally, in the Greek, ecclesia means to be called out. Meaning they were called out of the thinking of the world. Called out of the world. And they it's so rallied around this conviction, this this idea of Jesus being the Savior and Lord. That They were the called out ones. They were the church. And they were the body of Christ. Now, the word that we have in the English language, church, comes from a German word. Boy, I don't pronounce German real well. Um I know some would say probably curse or cursi or maybe a crutch of some kind. I don't know. I've been to Germany. I've heard him talk. Um, but something happened to the word church, the word ecclesia. And instead of it being thought of as a movement, it became thought of as a place that people would go to to receive religious service. They would go to an institution And they would receive something. Something would be given to them. And so it it changed fundamentally the way people related to church. Throughout the dark and middle ages, people went to the church. It was the place you attended. You sat through. Not a movement you were a part of. It became an institution providing services controlled by people that got exceedingly more powerful. And in many cases, used their power for their own interests. And could at times even exploit the people that they were to serve. But then something happened. A group of people that we look back upon now that we call the reformers came on the scene. In different places to bring a reformation about what the gospel was and what was needed today. One of those reformers was a man named William Tyndale. And uh, Tyndale had the conviction that Christianity was a movement and that if people were going to be devoted to the movement, they had to understand the message. So what did he do? He made his life work to produce the first translation of the Bible into the English language. In fact, if you were here Wednesday night and you were part of our life class called How We Got the Bible, his name came up. And it will again. In fact, I invite you, we've only done the introduction. If you're interested on how we got the Bible, and particularly this week, how we got the Old Testament, come Wednesday night at 6.30, because we've got a class on that. His name came up. So Tyndale was taking the Greek, and he was writing it into English, and this word, ecclesia came up. And you would have expected that he'd put what word in there? Church, right? Ecclesia, church. He didn't. Because of what was happening in that time and the way people viewed the institution of the church, he felt like it wasn't the right word to use. And you know what word he put in? Congregation. Not church. And so every time they would read about the ecclesia, they would read about a church not as a place you went to, but a movement that you belong to. That you were part of this assembly. Not just going to a institution. He was a bold man. Because how do you think the church leaders at the time received that news? How do you think they liked his translation? Yeah, they were. They were. They were threatened by it because they were the they were the leaders. They had control. They had respect. And now he's talking about this just being an assembly, a congregation, a movement. They felt their authority was being undercut. And so they decided they would put him on trial as a heretic. And there, Tyndale said the words that I know you probably can't read up there, but this is what he said. If God spare my life ere many years, I will cause, listen, I will cause a boy who drives the plow to know more of the Scriptures than you do. Now, was that not an indictment against the leaders of the church in that day? The boy that drives the plow right out in the field, the the simple, regular, common person is going to have access to the word of God. I'm told that they not only hung him, but they also burned him at the stake. How all that worked, I don't know, but that just shows how upset they were with him. Here are his last recorded words as he's being burned, Lord, open the king of England's eyes does anybody here have a king james bible with them anybody got got a king james i see a couple did god hear his prayer you're holding the king james bible he had a conviction that it was a movement not an institution An assembly built around the movement. The danger of the church in every age is to cease from becoming a movement and instead being a ministry that provides service to people. Or even worse, a place that people simply attend. Then there's no motion. And without any motion, you don't have a what? You don't have a movement. Movement implies that we're moving, that we're going, that we're taking, that we are sending. If you're part of the movement, you're moving. And that's the question for us as we begin the book of Acts. Are we, meaning as a church, just doing ministry? Are we just providing a service? Are we just maintaining an institution? Or are we part of? of a movement. Think about that. Think about that question. Ask it personally. If if you do you just view church as a place to attend or do you view it as a movement that you are personally a part of? Do do you see the distinction? Do you see the difference in that? The very first verse in Acts, if you look at it with me, says this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. There's a lot of words we could pull out of these first two verses, but let me just give you one to start with. Do you see the word began? Jesus began. There's an implication here that something was started. It began. There's more to it. There's a continuation. In the gospel accounts, we see the Lord Jesus working in his physical body. In Acts, we see the Lord continuing to work in his spiritual body, which is called the church. See, what He began, He is continuing. What He began in the flesh, He's continuing through the Spirit. And it's continuing even to this day. In fact, we are the recipients. We have been blessed by the faithful ministry of those who have gone before us that faithfully brought the gospel to us. We've been recipients of the movement. We've been blessed by it. And now... We have this window, this season of opportunity for us to move it forward, to be a part of it. The author of the book of Acts was Luke. Can you guess what other book he wrote? (laughs) The Gospel of Luke, right. He's also called the the Beloved Physician. He was a missionary companion of Paul in some of the uh, missionary journeys. The book begins with a reference to his previous work. If you look at verse one in the first book, O Theophilus, that's the book on the life of Christ, his gospel, his good news message. The book of Acts also references Theophilus. We don't know much about him. He's got a great name. You know what Theophilus means? One who loves God. If you look at the two words, theos and phileos that they, they come in there. One who loves God. I knew one young person in Greece who still has that name. And it really struck me when he introduced himself, Theophilus. We don't know much about him. He's also referenced as the most excellent Theophilus. He might have been an official in the Roman uh, government in some capacity. We really don't know. Luke continues in verses three through five, because part of the, the setting here is that this is the time after Christ's resurrection, and it includes his ascension, which happens here as well. Look at verses three through five. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So Luke is the one that says for forty days after the resurrection, Jesus continued to make some appearances, right? And he would speak with the disciples. In fact, if you have time this week, I would encourage you to take the latter part of Luke 24 verses 36 and following and compare that with the opening verses of Acts 1. Read those side by side. You'll be amazed at the continuity. While he was with them, verse 4, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Luke is talking about the the post-resurrection ministry. There's a there's a picture here of expectation that that something was going to come, that the Holy Spirit would be upon them. And what were they to do until he came? They were to wait, they were to wait for the Holy Spirit to be at work, and then we would see the difference. Jump, drop down to verse eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. The final earthly words of Jesus. They read like a mandate, don't they? They read like a commission. As they were told what was going to happen and what they were to do. In the clearest of terms. Verse 8 is the key verse for the entire book of Acts. Verse 8. You will be my witnesses. First seven chapters, witnesses in Jerusalem. Chapters 8 through 11, witnesses in all Judea and Samaria. Chapters 12 through 28, witnesses to the ends of the earth. Let's look at the theme of Acts. I've already touched on the first point here. We are commissioned to be witnesses for Christ. We're going to see the word witness. In fact, if you read through the book of Acts, it is... It is uh, Used like thirty nine times, so you can certainly see "witness" as a key word. What is a witness? A witness is someone who has seen something, and then they say something about it. That's what a witness is. So, if you're in the in the uh, in the in the business world, and and uh, and someone buys one of your products, and they are a satisfied customer, right? They 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 talk about it. They give they give uh, they give uh, 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 They give a recommendation for your product. If you are in a courtroom setting, you bring in the eyewitness testimony of someone who saw it and now they're describing it. But in the realm of the called out ones, the church, we have experienced the changed life. We have seen what he has done for us and we give explanation We say something about it. We are witnesses for Christ. Here's how Kent Hughes explains it. He said to be a witness for Christ is to bring a message that is a marvel of simplicity. Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh. He died to pay our sins. He was resurrected. Now he is exalted in heaven. He calls us to believe in him and receive forgiveness of sins. Though this witness is simple, it requires costly commitment. That cost varies at times, depending on who you're with, where you're living. Is there a cost for us to live today, for our young people to live for Christ today? Yes, there is. It varies. I can remember living in in Athens and hearing uh, story of, of something that had happened recently there after right after we moved. Um, as you know, a lot of people from all over the world have, have met primarily the Middle East and North Africa have been coming through Athens for the last number of years. And uh, there was a congregation of Pakistani believers that met kind of on the outskirts of town between downtown and the airport and and uh, it's a real interesting area there that that uh, that they were in. I knew the, the man that was that was their pastor, a Pakistani man. I knew I knew uh, others that worked with them. Uh, had the, the the real privilege of training some of them in, in pastoral ministry, but there was a young man that had come from Pakistan, and uh, uh, grew up Muslim. And as they do, many times these these refugees, these immigrants, they they live in a in a very small place with a lot of people. They share the expenses, and and he was he was one of them. That um, he came to faith in Christ, and he'd been a part of of the ministry that had, that had taken place there, and. His roommates found him praying to Christ and they found that he had a copy of God's word and they knew that he had converted and he 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 quickly admitted that he had. And he was found in the apartment, martyred. Killed for his faith in Europe, in Athens, Greece, of all places, you wouldn't you would not expect that, would you? But it happens and it happens in other parts of the world as well. There is a commitment. There is a cost for being a witness The message captured the hearts of the apostles. It captured the hearts and minds of the early church. Let me ask you this question. Has the message captured your heart? Has the message captured your mind? When we make statements about who Jesus is, who he was, what he's doing now, does that capture you with belief, with faith? With a with a with a repentant heart, with a commitment to follow him as Lord. Because I want to tell you, in thinking about the movement of the the church, it's, it's not real or authentic unless that happens first. This commitment to Christ that happens individually. And I encourage you today, I urge you, if you have not yet trusted Christ as Savior, This could be the day where you recognize how important it is that you place faith in him and ask him to forgive you of your sins, to be your savior, to be your Lord, which really means to be the one in charge and to give you new life through his spirit. And that, yes, at that point, you too are a part of this gospel movement of taking the message into the lives of others. But it must first capture your heart and mind to be called a witness. Here's how Peter would summarize it in Acts 4.12. Love this verse. And it's Peter again that's saying this. Okay, you can go back and and see about Peter and how. uh, Yeah, he, 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 he was bold at times, but he was also timid at times, wasn't he? Do you remember him by the fire at the crucifixion? And a little girl asking him if he he knew Jesus, and what did he do? He denied three times. But yet here we are in Acts four, and he says, in front of the, the leaders of the of the of the spiritual leaders of the nation of Israel, he says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Church, do we believe that? Or do we believe that we have a message that's one of many options and many ways? Because if we're confused about it, we lose the urgency. And we lose the mission. Peter clearly understood this is where salvation was found. This is the only hope. He believed it. They believed it. We must believe it. That's the mission. To be a witness And we are to be witnesses by taking the message to the ends of the earth. Again, look at verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And as I read that scripture, I know you're probably thinking of Matthew 28. You're thinking of the Great Commission. These are words that we've memorized that we could say, we could speak of. And because they are familiar to us, as great as they are, they might lose a little of the intensity that they had back then. Because as as the people in that time were thinking about their spiritual commitment there in the in the nation of Israel or in the city of Jerusalem, um, they were thinking that these geographical designations were really really uh, quite quite shocking, because they're being told about Jerusalem. Of course, Jerusalem is where. Jesus was crucified, right? Right on the outskirts of the city. Judea, that's a place where also there had been quite a bit of rejection and hostility to the message of Jesus. To Samaria, these are people who aren't even fully Jewish, right? They're the ones that stayed behind during, during times of captivity. And, and, and they, they intermarried with people of, of other backgrounds and faiths. And now to the ends of the earth? Do you mean, are are you, are you talking about Gentiles? Right? Can you you think of it in that that context? You mean we're supposed to go to the Gentiles with, with a message? So this would have been, this would have been quite a shocking statement that the Lord was giving to them. They were not only spiritually revolutionary, but socially and ethnically unheard of. But that has always been the heart of God. And Habakkuk, look among the nations. You'd be astounded to see what I'm doing. God's always had a heart for the nations. And in fact, the good news would make it, if you read over in Philippians chapter 4, all the way to Caesar's palace in Rome. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. Wow. So it was going to happen. In the late 1700s, there was a lot of work happening in India from people in England, a lot of work, a lot of uh, trade, a lot of, uh, of, of, of opportunity for them there. And so there were trading companies that were established. One of them was called the British East India Company, and uh, they were going into the territories. And, and uh, the churches in England you know, were having a bit of a, of a birth of the missionary movement, and they wanted to see missionaries go into India. To take the gospel. But the, uh, but the East India Trade Company thought that it would get in the way of their work there. What they were trying to accomplish. And so uh, uh, one of the British pastors known as Charles Simeon uh, decided that he would quietly work with a board member there on the East India Company. And he said, well how about we put some evangelical men on assignment as chaplains to minister to the English speaking workers that are living in India, of the British East India Company. But then, on their own time, they could go in and talk to the people of India. And they could, they could, they could, they could seek to bring the gospel to the, to the native people there. Henry Martin, who's pictured here, became one of several young men who went to, the, to India as an East India Company chaplain. But listen, when he got there, and he saw what was happening in India with all of the, 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 the Hinduism, all of the, the hundreds of false gods being worshipped. Listen to what he said. He says, as he watched people bow down before idols, seeing those people prostrate before Hindu gods excited more, and I quote, horror in me than I can well express. I could not endure existence if Jesus was not glorified. It would be hell to me. What was he experiencing? He was looking out and seeing how people were worshiping idols, and it just hit him hard. He knew they needed to be set free from the bondage of idolatry and sinfulness. And he knew the answer was Jesus and the gospel message. And as I think about that, I want to bring that to us here as well. Do you think that there are people in our community that bow down before idols? Do you want God to be glorified in our community? It takes a movement. It doesn't just take an institution. It takes something different to really go out and to take the message outside the walls. That's what we see in the book of Acts. And I want to tell you, just as a side note, there can be no burden for distant, unreached peoples without a burden for unreached neighbors. There has to be consistency. Here's what we see in Acts. There's an important transition that takes place during his ministry on earth. The work of preaching and teaching was primarily done by the Lord Jesus. As he trained his disciples. Now the baton is being passed. The disciples are now teaching and training and the disciples are now doing what? Making disciples. That's the transition that would happen. Now think about Acts eight again. From a human standpoint, the proclamation of repentance, the good news of forgiveness for a lost world, was squarely resting on the shoulders of a handful of people. From a human standpoint, these apostles were in no way ready for this task, were they? Were they? What a responsibility to the ends of the earth, even. Are you kidding me? This group? It's impossible could that be done? Well, here's another part of the theme of Acts. We will be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Again, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Dunamis is the word. It's the same word that we get for the word dynamite. But you will receive dynamite. You will receive power. I would love to be a part of a movement where we sense and see the power, the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. And I mean a power that breaks down, breaks down bondage, breaks down this the, the addictions, breaks down hard hearts, breaks down unforgiving spirits. But the Holy Spirit also has a power that builds up, brings broken pieces back together, breathes in new life, offers forgiveness, gives strength, gives wisdom, gives opportunity. Never had a more important assignment been given to a less qualified group of people, right? These weren't exactly the elite of the day. They weren't the political savvy people. They weren't the most educated. They were primarily what as an occupation? Fishermen. And a a tax collector, right? (laughs) At times they failed miserably. They argued about who would be the best, the greatest of them. On the night of his arrest, they all fled. Peter was the only one to show back up there at, at first. And what did he do but deny Christ? But the provision of power came along with the commission. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. I read something that took place many, many years ago when on a Native American reservation, there was a a discovery of oil. And all of a sudden, the oil companies came in and began to to pump out the oil. And this, this, uh, this tribe received a lot of money. In fact, it was divvied up between all the people that were there. So all of a sudden, they had a lot of money. And people, salesmen started showing up at the reservation to kind of show their wares and their trinkets and different things. And someone came pulling up in a luxury automobile. They'd never seen one on the reservation years back. Someone bought that thing and uh, drove it around, you know, figured it out, drove it around. It was just amazed by it. And and then it stopped working. Uh, well, I guess guess I've guess I've, uh, guess I've uh, gone to the extent of uh, of my purchase here and so uh, he sold it to some other guy on the reservation. He hitched up a team of uh, true story, hitched up a team of horses in front of it and for years pulled that luxury car around as a carriage. And so the the, the story is just thick with irony, isn't it? I mean, they're sitting on top of an oil field, right? All that car needed was a little bit of fuel, right? Sometimes My life is the same way. Same way. I I have the opportunity to have the power of the Holy Spirit, and yet I try to do it another way. Try to do it on my own. Sometimes the church tries to do it its own way instead of the God-breathed, God-fueled way of the Holy Spirit at work. That's what was promised to accompany the commission. As we go through the opening chapters of Acts, we're going to see... These same men that were so utterly human in the Gospels are going to have the power of God working in them mightily. And Lord willing, we're going to pick up here next week. But before we do, let me ask, as we see that the apostles yield themselves to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, have you yielded? Have we yielded? Do we believe that we've been commissioned to be witnesses Do we believe that we're called to go to the ends of the earth? Do we believe that we'll be empowered by the Holy Spirit? Let me ask a few questions as we close. Some application. Are we, church family, part of a movement or an institution? Have we believed the message of the Gospels? Do we sense the commission that's been given? Are we yielding to the Spirit in order to see the mission expand and to reach a world, a nation, that even 15 years after a tragedy desperately needs the good news and the hope of a Savior, Jesus Christ? Would you bear with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We read it. And we believe it. And we ask, Lord, that you will apply it to our lives. That you will break down the things which prevent us from being faithful. That you will expose the uh, the, the, uh, the inadequacies, the, the unfaithfulness, the sinfulness. That at times keeps us both personally and as a church from moving your mission forward. God, may You use Your Word to to give us a fresh vision of who we are in You. And may You use it, Father, to ignite within our body a desire to see Your name glorified in us and through us. We pray this in Christ's name. And all of God's people said, Amen.